For those of you who don't know me, my name is um, Callum, and it is my absolute honour and privilege to be sharing the word um, with you tonight, to be continuing to share the word from the amazing words that we've already heard um, so far tonight. Um, so we'll get into it. The, the title of my message for uh, tonight is Waiting at the Watchtower. And hopefully as we move through this word together tonight, that the reason behind that becomes clear to you. But in broad strokes, what I want to speak about tonight is those moments that, I've sh- that I'm sure that we've all had when we look out upon what is ahead of us in our life, whether it might be a, a clear situation that we're really unsure about how to navigate ourselves or whether it's not a clear situation, it's a vague fog masking what the future might hold. The moments where we look out upon those situations and we find ourselves desperately calling to God to tell us what to do. And so I want to unpack a tiny little portion of what the Bible tells us about those moments when we face deep uncertainty in our lives. So in 2017, I had the opportunity to hike the um, Kokoda Trail. If you haven't heard of it, it's um, a trail that goes through Papua New Guinea and it's a really important trail in Australia's history because Australian soldiers fought on that trail in um, World War II. It takes 10 days to walk um, very, very slowly and you go through heaps of different um, types of terrain um, and we might um, see a little bit of that. This is um, some of the terrain that you might see on the Kokoda Trail. Um, That is me and my back, and yes, that's my underpants tied to the back of my uh, backpack. You gotta, you gotta do your washing where you can. Um, But this, this is kind some of the terrain that you might see on the Kokoda Trail when when we would start our days in villages high up in the higher elevation of the mountains. You might start your day here. Um, where you slept and from here you might be able to see your whole day's walking ahead of you. You can look out or, you, or, or for me like my guide would tell me, he would trace his finger along the mountains and say we're going to go down this uh, valley here, we're going to follow this river and up that hill and I'll, I'm, I'm listening to my guide and thinking that looks pretty good as I'm looking at it right now that looks quite you know achievable um, and, and so we, we start and we continue and When you drop into the valley from these high ridges, something strange happens. You immediately, or I immediately, forgot the plan that my guide had run me through. You forget what you say to yourself in the morning, that it seems pretty easy, and the terrain completely changes. So suddenly, instead of seeing the whole day's walk ahead of you and where you might be that night, I can barely make out the path 10 metres ahead of me you can see there's a couple little packs there that's where I was sort of going but I I can't see the path on really how to get there the jungle floor gets so thick that any forward thought into what the track looks like ahead just goes completely out the window I remember many times looking up at at, at situations like this terrain like this and thinking how how am I going to get through this I can't even see where I'm meant to go how am I going to get through this how on earth are we going to be where our guide told us we needed to be by the end of today. And it's that kind of uncertainty that I want to talk about tonight. Obviously not the type of uncertainty about whether you can get through your days hiking or not, but the type of uncertainty that happens when the path ahead of us in our life feels too obscured or that we, too, uh, that we have too much to take on. Uncertainty might look completely different from one person um, to the next. No two types of uncertainty look the same. But I've tried to sort of create a little list of some types of uncertainty to get you thinking a little bit. It's certainly not conclusive, um, but I think it might be broad enough. Um, So we might have external short-term uncertainty. External short-term, being uncertain or worried about the things that are happening in the world around us over the near future. 
or external long-term, being uncertain about the long-term state of the world around us. And maybe we have internal short-term. This one is resonating deeply with me right now. Being uncertain of how you might get through a personal situation in your near future. It could be financial, health, relationships, work, uncertainty, or internal long-term, where the rest of your life feels like a void of uncertainty. Not in the good kind of uncertainty, like, you know, not planning what you're going to do for the rest of your entire life, you know, meticulously, instead being kind of flexible and adaptable. That's good kind of, that's a good kind of uncertainty. But the kind of uncertainty that might leave you questioning why you are even here, or what your purpose is, or who created you. All of these types of uncertainty are very real and can be very powerful sources of anxiousness. Now, for a while, as I said, I feel like I have been in a season of uncertainty. Things have been changing, finish lines have been moving. So in my time in the Word recently, I've been really seeking out what God says to us about our times of uncertainty. And I hope you don't mind if I just pass on some of those things um, to you tonight. It might not be the most revolutionary message you've ever heard, but I've found recently when we are uncertain, we don't really need our, our socks blown off with revelations. We, we just need to be reminded of the foundational truths of uh, God's Word. And the great news is, the Bible is rich with these truths. It addresses uncertainty quite extensively. And an area that is really ministered to me in this area is the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was one of the 12 minor prophets of the Bible. It's a very short book, three chapters, and essentially just covers a prayer conversation between himself and God about Habakkuk's uncertainty over what is happening at the time. And what's happening at the time is the rise of Babylon. And if you follow the story, it's a great example and prophecy about how those who seek power and wealth on earth at the expense of others, referring to the Babylonians in the book, are humbled by God in due time, and that no earthly kingdom is above God's kingdom. So that's, that's what the book is generally about. But I think if you look just below the surface, you also see this uncertainty on a much more micro scale. It's also a great depiction of one man's struggle, not just the whole nation's struggle, but one man's struggle, Habakkuk's, um, struggle with the uncertainty over the future. And it, it details how he responds to this. So we'll jump right in. Habakkuk opens in chapter 1 with his first prayer to God. He's giving his complaints to God. He's lamenting to God about the things that the Babylonians are doing at the time. In chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, he says, How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing. Conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Now, I don't know about you, but just already in four verses, I see immediate similarities to the uncertainty uh, in our present world injustice, violence. And, but as much as this is relevant today, and I really encourage you to seek the Bible for answers about what we are still witnessing today, I would really like to take a, a moment or, or tonight to dial in on Habakkuk himself. He says, how long must I call and you do not listen? You do not save. It's personal. This is a man filled with deep uncertainty about what he sees ahead of him. 
a man who seems to be at somewhat of a, a crossroads in, about his faith in God's plan. And I think we've all been here, a moment where the jungle looks too thick ahead of us. We, and we have a decisive moment where we can either move away from God, saying to ourselves, there is no way that God could be across this. Or, like Habakkuk, we can come to God. I imagine him on his knees at a stage of pleading, saying, fold me in here, God. Show, show me this uncertainty makes some sense to you because it makes no sense to me. And God does. From verse 5, we hear God's first reply. It's a little chunk of scripture, but I think it's important that we see the full picture here. So stay with me. Verse 5 to 11 in chapter 1 says, Look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded. For I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear, uh, when you hear about it. Look, I am rising up the Chaldeans. Now, this is another name for the Babylonians. Um, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from distant lands. They fly like eagles, swooping to devour. All of them come to do violence, their faces set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings, and rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and build siege ramps to capture it. Then they sweep by like the wind and pass through. They are guilty. Their strength is their God. It's quite poetic, isn't it? God basically replies poetically detailing everything that Habakkuk already knows about these people. He outlines exactly in intricate detail the wrongdoings that Habakkuk first felt compelled to, to seek God about in the first place. Habakkuk, Habakkuk knows these things. So what's the point of this answer to just basically echo back to him what he already has told God? Well, I think it comes and it lies in the last line. They are guilty. Their strength is their God. God intricately describes the ferocity of their strength, and then with one phrase, he answers Habakkuk's prayer. It is what we've been talking about this entire year with our theme, a king and a cause. They have built their faith and put their faith in a very, very strong earthly kingdom. There can be no denying that. But it is just that. It's an earthly kingdom. And everything earthly has a temporal range, a limit to its life. Only God is eternal. And he has a plan that is unimaginable to us. He said, for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe. God knows and states these people as guilty. And so God is saying, I'm aware. My plan is still underway. Their kingdom however strong it might be, is temporal. Mine is eternal. And so while they might make up part of his plan, his plan prevails. So that's God's answer to Habakkuk and, in all of, and his answer to all of us in a nutshell. That despite the uncertainty that he or we face, being unsure of the foundational truths my bad. Despite the uncertainty that he or we face, God works all things according to his plan. 
and for good. He is in control, no matter what the strength might seem of the situation that we come across in our world, how, how strong the kingdom, the earthly kingdoms or the earthly situations um, seem. His strength surpasses. So I believe it's telling us, don't be overwhelmed by looking at, a, at uncertainty through the lens of our own strength. Instead, lean on Him. View the situation with the knowledge God is always guiding us through. Now, we could wrap it up there. That's the answer. But Habakkuk is human, and he was still unsure. And I have also been repeatedly unsure. I'm very, very guilty of being like this, being unsure of the foundational truths of God's Word, as I'm sure many of you might have been as well. So, Habakkuk prays again, a very, very similar prayer. He outlines more metaphors of injustice and asks God, how, he, how can you watch these things happen? He prays the same similar prayer again. Then, without God replying, he follows up with another short prayer to begin chapter 2. He says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There, I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. So he basically double texts God. Has anybody, <laughs> has anybody ever done that? You've been a, a little bit desperate to get a reply to a message that you're really in a rush for, so you send the, you know, two question marks after the, uh, after the initial, initial message. You know, I know I've gotten some messages like that, maybe from Geordie. Uh, did you pick up this thing from the shop or something like that? Please. And, you know, so like an impatient texter, that's exactly what he does with this prayer. But as well as that, I also think it's a really, really interesting statement when we read it carefully, because the watchtower was sometimes used as a symbol of expectation of something's return or reply, which I find really interesting because the use of this symbol shows us that even though Habakkuk was struggling with the uncertainty that he was facing, he was expectant. He was certainly lamenting and maybe not really properly receiving what God had already told him in his first reply, but even though he was coming back and asking again, he knew he wasn't just wallowing into a void. Through his writing, we can see that he postured himself for return, for reply. And I really think this is one of the key lessons to take away from this story, because it's really easy to look at this back and forth and think, well, I don't want to be like Habakkuk, toing and froing with God. But even though he was certainly not putting his faith in God's plan perfectly, even imperfect, he's still showing up. He knew God was listening. And even though he didn't understand God and is pleading with him to explain what is happening, he doesn't turn away. Still, he's prayerful and he awaits the voice of God. His responses aren't textbook great, but they are many, many steps better than what I've been guilty doing many times in the past, which is disassociating with God the moment that I'm uncertain about what He's doing in my life. And so, and God does answer this second time. And, and um, He begins this in verse 2. He says, The Lord answered me, write down this vision, clearly inscribe it on tablets, so one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time, it testifies about the end and it will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it. Since it will come, since it will certainly come and not be late. I love this little passage and I love verse 3 as an encouragement in the trust that we can have in God's plan and His Word. 
It may not come to fruition in the timeline that we would like it to. Wouldn't that be great? But it will never be late. God's plan always unfolds in the time it is intended to. It is never late. God does not say that we will not go through long and difficult periods of uncertainty. He just promises us that He is leading us through them and that His plan continues on the other side. And the Bible tells us that through uncertainty or struggle, there is growth and there is purpose um, in accordance with God's plan. And so God goes on to outline how Babylon will fall in a prophecy given to Habakkuk. And he goes on to say that the righteous one will live by faith. Another reminder of where we should place our trust. And the rest of chapter 2 outlines all the things that God condemns Babylon for. Unjust ways of building wealth slave labor, irresponsible leadership, idolatry. And later in the prophecy, in verse 19, he says, Woe to him who says to wood, wake up, or to mute stone, come alive. Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. I really feel like this is kind of, the, for me, what's been resonating so much about what we've been talking about with a king and a cause this year. Earthly treasures, earthly kingdoms like Babylon cannot be God. And we cannot put our trust in the earthly things that claim to solve the uncertainty of our future. Things like wealth or status. God is the living king. The only one who can guide us through uncertainty. None of these earthly possessions or promises or pursuits uh, that promise to provide safety to us or that we build up to protect us, none of them have breath. They are fleeting, temporal. When our trust and faith is in God, His breath, His Spirit lives in us. And that is eternal. And though we may come against temporal uncertainty, we can know then we have His eternal certainty. So throughout chapter 3, Habakkuk is now on the the page with God. He's now um, received the prophecy. And in verse 6, he speaks of God's power over earth. He says, He stands and shakes the earth. He looks and startles the nations. The age-old mountains break apart. The ancient hills sink down. His pathways are ancient. By seeking God, he has been reminded of God's sovereignty over the natural situations that he's facing. And don't we all need to come to God for that reminder often? That's one that I need to keep coming back for. And he closes the book by expressing his confidence in God after their exchange. And I love this bit. He says in in, uh, chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen, and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation, The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and he enables me to walk on mountain heights. He has waited on God in his uncertain time. And now, even though his uncertainty over what's going on in his life remains, the situation, the rise of Babylon, it was continuing. It's not like he prayed and then God was like, oh yes, I forgot about that, I'll end it. (laughs) Um, God told him what he was doing And that was enough for him to get on board 
And he's now reminded that he walks through that uncertainty, though it continues, he walks through it with our almighty God lighting his path, guiding not only him, but the world. He starts out just three chapters earlier complaining to God, unsure of where God was in this situation, saying things like, don't you see? And the situation of those around him as well. But rather than saying, okay, I think this is where God's plan has gone out the window. He's lost the plot, so I'm going to walk away from him. He takes a knee. He says, okay, God, what are you doing here? What's your plan? And even though he doesn't quite understand the way that God is going to outwork his plan, and he still really doesn't exactly by the end, he, his trust is renewed. He can now face his uncertainty, continue on into this world, relying on the strength of God and the faith in his plan. Because as we all know, very famous verse in Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, if you know me, you know I love historical analogies. And reading over this story, I was uh, these stories, I was really reminded, um, oddly, about um, the first man to ever complete a spacewalk. His name was Alexei Leonov. He was a cosmonaut. Um, yeah, there's a picture. Um, he was a cosmonaut, and he was the first man to exit a space shuttle into the abyss of space. If there was ever a void of uncertainty, right? He was a man who looked out upon what was ahead and he had no idea what he may face or experience. He was essentially a guinea pig. Maybe instant death or maybe he would be okay. And the truth sort of lied somewhere in between. He went out and he did his spacewalk successfully enough, but upon trying to re-enter, and when he was trying to re-enter, he found that while he was out, his suit had inflated just enough, expanded just enough, so that he couldn't, he was stuck in the, the hatch that he exited from. So he was trapped halfway between life and death. And in there, trapped, he had to let some of his own air supply out of his suit to squeeze back in. He didn't know how much he would have to let out in order for that to be successful. So he was bleeding out his own life supply in order to try and save his life. A very difficult, stress-inducing situation, um, to say the least. But the that's not really why this story is kind of famous. I mean, it is famous in its own right. But the minute he re-entered his ship, he didn't go back to, you know, mission control or, you know, I would probably blast error off about, um, why didn't you think about the spacesuit expanding? No, he, he grabbed a, a pencil and um, paper and he drew a now very famous um, image, which might come up. It's called the Orbital Sunrise. This was the first image ever drawn in space. Um, And he was the first man to experience the view of the sun rising over the entire globe, completely unobstructed. In their space shuttle at that time, there would have been tiny little windows. You probably would have had to look one way to see half the Earth and one way to see the other half if there would have been wires and equipment hanging everywhere. And this was a man who, for the first time, had nothing but one pane of glass in his helmet between him and the entire globe. And so he drew this image, and I, I think it's really, really cool and beautiful. There was beauty waiting for him on the other side of his uncertainty. And he had to put his trust in the people who had equipped him to be standing at the precipice of that void. But that plan didn't look how he hoped it would. Now, I fully acknowledge the comparison really wavers and falls apart here because his plan was created by humans, and the things that went terribly wrong in it also created by humans. Um, 
But our God also has a plan for us. And in a very similar way, He has also equipped us to be standing upon the voids that we come across of uncertainty. And He's asking us to walk in it towards the beauty that He promises to those who have faith in Him. But it will require crossing some voids of deep uncertainty. Even though His plan is perfect, it rarely, or I'd go as far to say never, uh, looks the way that we think it should. There will be scary moments, moments where we are uncertain of where the path leads, but He promises us that He will be with us if we place our faith in Him. And I'll call the team up now if I can. Proverbs 19.21 says, "Many Many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. We can think all we want that we know the path that God wants to take us on. We can have our own idea of how our life might unfold. But His decree, His order, and His plan, it will prevail. And He promises us that if we submit to that decree, He brings life abundant. Certainly not without hardship, but we can enter that knowing in Psalm 23, one of my favorite verses, it says, Even when I go through the darkest valley, I feel no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, if you're a little bit of a skeptic by nature like me, you might be thinking, well, that's all you know, well and good, but trusting God is easier said than done. And I 100% agree, I'm with you there. But what I will say is that there is no better way to grow your trust and faith in God than by diving into His Word. Because the Bible is full, jam-packed of examples of God time and time again standing with people in times of uncertainty, standing next to them in the fire, guiding them, answering them when they are called to Him. God's reputation precedes Him. And becoming familiar with that reputation through His Word equips us to face uncertainty with the certainty that He is with us. Or you might be thinking, Does putting complete trust in God mean I give up passion or fight myself? Sit back, kick the feet up while God makes the uncertainty disappear and uh, then I'll come back to it later. And I don't believe that's what the Bible is calling us to do. God asks us continually to step out in faith. James 2.26 says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Act on your faith. God calls us to act on our faith. Where a void of uncertainty is before us, first have faith, then let our actions be evidence of it. Go forward filled with faith, but be sensitive to the direction of God in your action. So what's the takeaway? We all have uncertainty. Maybe one of those things that I said at the start resonated with you internal, external, long-term, short-term, it comes and it rears its head in many different ways. And the entire book of Habakkuk reminds us to remember that God is in control. But his conversations with God are also a great reminder to draw closer to God in times of uncertainty rather than away. It is so easy to turn our back on God when we don't feel like he is with us. But here, Habakkuk exemplifies excellently coming as we are, doubts and all. He is praying imperfect prayers and yet still God responds to him, guides him, loves him. Sure, his prayers may not mirror the great example set by Jesus with the Lord's Prayer as how we should pray. 
But we do not have to be perfect to sit at the feet of Jesus. We don't have to have our life together to know exactly how a Christian should act before approaching God. Our God is not a God of ceremony and ritual. He's a God of relationship. And He has a come-as-you-are policy. He invites us to speak with Him in whatever way we can first and refine ourselves later. Because the book that we've just read tonight shows us that God would rather us come to Him with our imperfections than run from Him because of them. And if you are someone who, like we spoke about at the beginning, might be experiencing long-term personal uncertainty, who might be considering the big questions, is God real? Or feeling a stirring within yourself to explore faith? To that, I would say the policy God had with Habakkuk is just the same with us. God invites us to encounter Him and our imperfections are more than welcome. And whatever your void of uncertainty is, His Word, the Bible, holds the foundational truths that we need to be reminded of constantly that guide us into uncertainty and through it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You that You are with us. Lord, you are continually with us and you never leave our side, Heavenly Father. Even when we, we have lost track of where you are in our situation, Lord, when we face situations that look insurmountable, Lord, when the path ahead looks too crowded, thick or vague to, to go forth with, Lord God, you are there and we praise you for it, God. Heavenly Father, help us, help us as we leave here tonight to remember these truths, Lord, and to come back to them continually, Heavenly Father that you are with us, that your plan is powerful and that no earthly thing can surmount your plan, Lord. Lord, help us to have our focus drawn to you, Lord, in the uncertain times and the difficult times, the times of suffering, Lord, but also the great times, Heavenly Father. Let us not grow complacent, Lord, in, in the enticing things that the world offers to us as safety and security, Heavenly Father. The kingdoms that, that, that could be built up in our lives like Babylon that promise power, Lord, wealth, Heavenly Father, security. Let us cast all that aside in your name, Heavenly Father, and look to you, to the only kingdom, Heavenly Father. You are our King, and your kingdom is the only kingdom on earth, Lord, that is eternal, that is everlasting, Lord, and we praise you for it, and we thank you for it, Lord God, in your name. Amen.